0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. This Sunday concludes the season of Epiphany, a season in which we uh, reflect upon and think about the ways in which Jesus has been made manifest in our lives and in the world. It's a season in which the the Jewish Messiah is revealed as the Messiah for the whole world and calling all nations to come to worship him and to praise him. And at the end of this season of Epiphany, we get this story of the transfiguration. Jesus going up on the mountain, much like Moses did, and hearing those words, This is my son. Listen to him. All the gospel writers make the story of the transfiguration a turning point, a linchpin if you will, between Jesus' ministry among the people and his travels to Jerusalem where he will enter into the holy city on Palm Sunday and face what he knows will be his suffering and his death. And in each of the gospel stories and the story of the transfiguration, the gospel writers connect this incredible experience of Jesus on the mountain with a person who needs to be healed and the disciples' inability to do it themselves. The more that we are open to the kingdom of God, it seems like this story is telling us, the more we are aware of the pain and the suffering of the world. let me say that again. The more that we become aware of the kingdom of God, the more we become aware of the pain and the suffering of the world. We often so much want Jesus to be like a vaccine that we can take, that will keep us safe and comfortable, oblivious to the realities of the world. When in reality, Jesus injects us with the Holy Spirit and it makes us even more aware of both the joys and the suffering in the world. We get to see those moments on the mountaintop in which God is made so real to us that we could hardly even imagine it. So powerful and so real that we want to tabernacle with God. We want to build a tent and stay here forever forever. But also, the same Spirit who is able to reveal such beauty and such joy drives us to those places where, frankly, we oftentimes would not want to go on our own. So let's turn to this gospel story. Moses and the prophet Elijah suddenly show up with Jesus on this mountain. And this should... Um, connect us to the passage that we heard just a moment ago that Vic read in the Old Testament where Moses goes up to the mountain to see God. It is in this crucial moment of the story that Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the covenant, with the tablets, with the commandments to present those to the people. This is the moment in which they are given their identity as people who follow God. This is the moment in which they are chosen as the Hebrew people to live in covenant in a powerful way. In the scriptures, Moses is the giver of law. Elijah is the great prophet who comes and warns them that they better follow this law. And Jesus is the one who comes and forgives them forgives us of our inability to follow the law and fulfills it in such ways that we would not be able to. Peter is so amazed by this experience that his first reaction is to build a tent. Well, here, you know, look, Jesus, we can have a tent for you, we can have one for Moses, and we can have one for Elijah. And if Peter had convinced them the six flags over Jesus would not be at the local megachurch, it would have been on a mountain on the way to Jerusalem. Peter wants to build a tabernacle. He wants to preserve this moment so we can stay in the glory and the power and the splendor of God forever and ever. The tabernacle in Jewish cosmology was a place where God resided. Whether it was in the tents as they wandered the desert and the ark of the covenant that went with the people, or whether it was the temple and the holy city they saw God residing or tabernacling with them. Peter knows that what he's experienced is so powerful and so amazing that in some way we should preserve it. And this is a really powerful human temptation. We go and we have these amazing experiences and we want to keep going back to them again and again. Maybe... It's and you know a lot of our uh, a lot of our our students who go off to summer camp come back and they're like oh you know it is such a different place why can't the world be like it is at St. Crispin's you know maybe you've gone and you've gone on a religious retreat and you've had a powerful experience at this religious retreat and you're like why can't it always be like this or maybe it's the sentimentality of our church of our childhood that we want to always exist. Oftentimes think about when I go back to Edmond, which, I mean, it's not that far away, um, but I haven't lived there for 15 years now, and when my folks will say, well, where do you want to go to eat? I sit there and I say, well, I want to go to Johnny's. You know, Johnny's tried to come to Tulsa, and it was an abysmal failure. So I don't know if Johnny's wasn't really that good or... Tulsa's tastes weren't that good. I'm not sure which. But my parents will say, you know, there's a lot better places than Johnny's, but that's the place I remember as my childhood of going as the place where the family gathered, and so that's where I want to go back to. right? This is human temptation to figure out how do we tabernacle experiences and preserve them forever. And if there's any question about how big this experience is, God the Father shows up, much like God proclaims at the baptism of Jesus, and says, look, this is my son. Listen to him. But for Christians, we believe that the tabernacle is not something that we can preserve on a mountain. The tabernacle is Jesus himself. John's gospel, when he is having this amazing prologue, this introduction to Jesus who is coming upon the stage, says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there literally means that the word came and tabernacled with us. That Jesus is the place where God resides. That our God does not reside on the top of a mountain, but in Jesus and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus resides in us too. A little bit of a scary thought. So I go back, the more that we are open to the kingdom of God, the more we become aware of the pain and the suffering of the world, and God's call to us, what are we going to do about it? In many stories of religion, there's always this wise person who's at the top of the mountain, and you climb up to the mountain and you ask your question of the wise person, but our God is not a God who stays on the mountains. That our God is a God who comes and lives down with us in the midst of our lives Sarah Condon says that if you read Roman mythology, you will find a God who can't wait to get back on the mountain. It's as if the Roman gods hate the people, but our God does not hate us. The quite reverse is is true, is that God can't wait to get off the mountain and tabernacle with us. And there's Jesus there's Jesus who both takes us up to the mountain and has this incredible experience, but also comes down to the valleys of our life and the times in which we cry out for a Savior. I imagine that you have something going on in your life that is possibly hard to deal with. And it doesn't take much to turn on the news today and watch an entire country that is going through that right now. Yesterday I heard a reporter say that the only thing that she hears at night in Kiev are the air raid sirens and church bells. Air raids and church bells. I can't imagine a better description of Jesus and his ministry. God will follow us anywhere and love us in any situation. Jesus is not interested in mountaintops. Our God lives in the valleys with us. With our fears, with our anxieties, with our church bells and the air raid sirens, our God is there. Amen.